0: Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn to Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. I know that you are in a couple series right now, uh, study of 1 Peter, I believe, uh, with Brandon on Sunday mornings, and then Wednesdays, you're in a series titled Route 66, where you're working through different portions of Scripture, book by book. Basically, doing book flyovers and overviews. So this message is sort of attached to that series, the Route 66 series. As we get to Malachi, some of the themes and the elements that we talk about today uh, will connect to what you've been previously working through as you're going from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So hopefully, you'll pick on pick up on some of those items, some of those elements. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, the title for the message is Indictments Against a Corrupt Priesthood, Indictments Against a Corrupt Priesthood. And we'll be looking at Malachi chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, and we'll roll through uh, chapter 2, verse 9. Well, the Levites played a special role and had a unique ministry in the life and the nation of Israel. You know this after looking back through... The book of Leviticus, I think Jobin taught through Leviticus. According to Numbers chapter 16 verse 9, Numbers 16 verse 9, their primary function in the priesthood amongst many duties, and they had several, was to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. There were two main aspects of their duty. The Levites were called to oversee and perform the duties in Yahweh's tabernacle. Uh, most notably, they were linked with the sacrificial system and the various ceremonies that the nation of Israel was commanded to partake in. But not only that, and, and sadly, I think sometimes we focus on just that aspect of the Levitical priesthood, but they were also called, secondly, to be ministers and shepherds and the worship leaders to the people." Uh, number 16.9 outlines both of those aspects of their duties. Well, in the post-Moses era, once the Israelites had conquered and divided the promised land, as the book of Joshua records, under the direction of God and under the direction of Joshua, the Levites were then allocated or spread out amongst the 48 cities or the 48 towns that were across the land. Uh, You can see this in Joshua 21 and in Numbers 35. But in these 48 towns, the Levites presided over the sacrifices, they presided over the ceremonies, and they presided over the teaching of the word God. Of God, and in their case specifically the Torah, the first five books that Moses had written. There was even a branch within the Levitical system known as the Aaronic priests, Aaron, his and his descendants, and their chief function, and their highest-ranking function, was to attend to all matters concerning the tabernacle, the temple, etc. Where God's presence would be is essentially where they would go. Now, it's interesting with these priests, they had to meet certain requirements. Uh, They had to meet certain physical statures and appearance. Uh, They had to have certain haircuts. I would have failed in that regard. Uh, they They were forbidden to have tattoos and markings on their body and they could only marry virgins. But on a spiritual level, in terms of the priest relationship with God, their religiosity, you could say, the Levites in general were to be the holiest and most sanctified people of the nation. So as part of all of their duties, all of those external rites and ceremonies that they had to perform, those things would be absolutely nothing if they weren't right inwardly from the heart. They were to have the greatest adherence to God's law, both externally in what they did and internally from the heart. They were to have the highest character, moral excellence, exude godliness. They were to be leaders amongst the tribes, and they were to be leaders amongst their families in, in the home, uh, you could say. It's because a primary duty was for them to shepherd God's people. And here's just a map of where they would have been distributed amongst uh, the promised land. So the Levites essentially were everywhere in the life of the nation, by God's design, by the way. Regarding their duties, Old Testament scholar Daniel Block, he says that the Levites were to give pastoral care throughout the land. This would involve caring for the needy, administering cleansing rituals, presiding over local sacrifices and ceremonies of blessing and cursing, teaching the Torah, and encouraging covenant fidelity by keeping alive the traditions of Israel and representing the central sanctuary in the far-flung regions of the land. And again, let me call it your attention to where the Levites were in regard to the people. God had distributed the Levites to be the backbone or the rebar of the nation. You could say it this way, so it was with the priesthood, so it was with the nation. If you had a faithful priesthood, you had a faithful what? Nation. If you had an abominable priesthood, then you had an abominable nation. So when the Old Testament describes the condition of the priesthood, that is not only a description of the priesthood, it's a description of what? The land, the the people. Unfortunately, such a high calling was often disregarded by the Levites. You know this as you've been working through Old Testament books. But 400 years before the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, the last writing prophet, Malachi, he records the mass corruption that had overtaken the priesthood and therefore had overtaken what? The land, the people, the nation. The book of Malachi is God's indictment. It's Malachi's indictment on the priesthood and the nation, in fact, Malachi drops the hammer on the abominable behavior of the Levitical priesthood. Now, what was so abominable about their behavior? What in particular were they doing? And you may be thinking, why does this even matter today? Well, in our text this afternoon, or this morning rather, see, I'm awake, you may not be. In our text this morning, God makes two indictments against Levitical priesthood during Malachi's time to expose their wickedness, to expose their wicked sin and rebellion, and this also identifies the people's rebellion. But for us, the book of Malachi and these indictments serve as an examination, as a test, They serve as a test to whether we are faithful people of God or whether we are corrupt. That's the timeless principle or the timeless truths that can be drawn out of the book of Malachi. Are we faithful people or have we, in fact, like the priests, like the people of Malachi's day, have we, in fact, become corrupt? Well, Malachi means my messenger, and this is a divine message from God. He ministered during the time of Nehemiah, a time when the temple had been rebuilt. And just to sort of give you a chronology of where we're at in the biblical story, Malachi's prophecy, this book, is given about 400 years before the time of Christ. In fact, this is the final word from God. That's wild to me. The final word from God is an indictment on the priest and the nation. It's the final word from God, and then we jump into 400 silent years, and then we finally hear from God at the birth announcement of what two people? John the Baptist and Jesus. And interestingly enough, after Malachi records his indictment against the priesthood, he ends his book with giving prophecies about people. So Malachi is the final word before John the Baptist comes on the scene and before Jesus Christ comes on the scene. What's the theme of Malachi? Well, the theme of Malachi, as you can already guess, is severe rebuke and condemnation. There had been rapid decline during Malachi's day. And don't miss this. Because of the rapid decline of the nation this culture that surrounded the ancient world produced two groups and you'll recognize them the pharisees and the sadducees the pharisees and the sadducees there were major sins involved in the culture of malachi's day there was a corrupt priesthood the nation of israel they were divorcing their israelite wives and marrying pagan and foreign wives And then they were abusing tithes and offerings that were to be given to the temple. This is dark, dark periods of the nation of Israel. It's almost revisiting what book that you've already studied in Route 66. The book of Judges. This is almost Judges Part 2. So what were these indictments? Well, there's two of them. We're going to work through them together this morning. The first indictment against the priesthood and the nation was that they failed to offer proper worship. They failed to offer proper worship. You pick up in verse 6 of chapter 1, as I begin reading. A son honors his father and a servant his master. This is God speaking. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name but you say, how have we despised your name? Well, you are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? And that, you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Well, through the pen of his prophet Malachi, God begins his rebuke against the current generation of priests. He begins, and you saw this from the beginning if you were tracking with the text, he begins by calling him out for not respecting him, not honoring him, not giving glory him. This is God's own words. You are not respecting me. You are not honoring me. I mean, God, he, he, he literally could not be any more clear with his words. And he probably picked up on this as well. Notice how the text was written. It was written in sort of a, a Q&A format, a question and answer format, who was conducting the whole session was God. He was the one asking the questions, and he was also the one, what? <laughs> yeah, giving the answers. Look at that word honor in verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant honors his master. And then God says, look, I'm both your father and your master, and you show me absolutely no honor, no respect. That word honor means he- it's It means heaviness weightiness. God's saying, you do not respect me. It's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Surely you honor your father. Surely you honor your master. And why would you not honor me, the king of the universe? That's what God is saying here. The fact of the matter is the priest, they had despised the name of God. Look at it. Two times there in that text, the word despise comes across. It means to treat badly or poorly, to treat despicably with contempt. This was an ongoing reality. This happened daily. You know, this wasn't just one of those every other week or every other month bad days. This was a consistent pattern in their life. They had despised God. They had failed to give him honor. Now, it's interesting here. In this Q&A, God begins to reveal exactly how they dishonored him. Well, they first off dishonored God in their inappropriate sacrifices, in their inappropriate sacrifices. Notice verse 7, God says that they had placed defiled food upon The altar. Defiled, that simply means stained or polluted. How did they do that? Look at verse eight. Notice the condition of the animals. Notice the condition of the animals here. Verse eight, you have brought blind animals for sacrifice. You have brought lame animals for sacrifice. I mean, animals that couldn't even walk. In addition to that, you have brought sick animals." Now, if I'm thinking correctly and we are tracking together here, I don't remember God ever requiring blind, lame, or sick animals to be brought to him as a sacrifice. Surely Joban didn't teach that when he taught through Leviticus, did he? No, it's not in the text. But here, they're bringing blind animals, lame animals, and sick animals. You see, here's what happened. The priests, they didn't fully skirt their duties. They didn't stop giving sacrifices. They just gave polluted ones. They took it upon themselves to bring animals in various conditions that weren't required by God. God has repeatedly said in His Word that you must bring an unblemished animal. An animal without spot. Exodus 12, 5, unblemished. Leviticus 1, 3, without defect. Deuteronomy 15, 21, you cannot bring an animal that has lameness or blindness or any serious defect. Now here's the thing the priests understood that that's what the Word of God taught, but they refused to actually do it. In fact, They did have animals with them that were without blemish, but they chose to keep the better portion for themselves and to offer God the ones that God specifically said multiple times, do not bring to me. I will not accept it. I will not take that kind of worship. Why? Think of the big picture here. Because it's those unblemished spotless animals that ultimately picture the final atonement of Christ. And since priests were literally bridge builders from man to God in the Old Testament, if they were offering and sacrificing animals that didn't meet the requirements, then there was no actual mediation between the people and God. And the people, by the way, were okay with this. The people were okay with it. The whole nation was okay with it. That's why God is angry, and that's why Malachi is recording this rebuke. Now, notice verse 8, by the way. God says, why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Yeah, back in the ancient world, it was common for the people to offer agricultural produce and livestock to governors, to governmental leaders. But God is saying, look, those worthless sacrifices, even a pagan government, even people that were outside of the kingdom and covenant of God, even they wouldn't take it. Look at verse nine. God's indictment continues, verse nine, but now will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. Malachi continues to expose the priest's rebellion, by noting that God will not bless them. He will not show favor to them. In fact, we're told here that God is withholding his beneficence, his goodness. The fact that they profane the altar of God means they will not experience the goodness of God. Malachi says that it would be better, it would be better that that temple be completely shut down than to offer up pseudo-sacrifices. Now, if you think about this in sort of our, our modern context, evangelical church, evangelical culture, especially here in America, there are many churches that, like the temple that God describes here, that need to have their gates or their doors completely shut. When pastors or church leaders teach that Christians ought to unhitch themselves and take themselves away from the Old Testament because it's not relevant, that church needs to shut their gates. They need to shut their doors. When false teacher Joyce Meyer preaches at your church on Mother's Day and then she comes back one year later and preaches three consecutive weekends, if you allow her, a false teacher, to preach in your church, your church needs to have your gates shut, your doors closed. When your co-pastor wife says that we go to church on Sunday morning so we can worship ourselves that church's door needs to be shut. When your pastor uses explicit and sensual language from the pulpit and describes sexual activity that he apparently gets through visions, that church needs to have their doors closed. When your pastors or church leaders affirm homosexuality, that church is done. When your pastor affirms abortion or your church leaders affirm affirm abortion that church is is done those are all pseudo sacrifices those are all trying to do church man's way and not God's way there is no difference between that and what Malachi is describing for us in his prophecy Now, how pertinent are these words for you and I as individual Christians? Let's be honest, those churches that I just described, that's not this church. Praise God, that's not our church. If you've been here for any time, you know that. I would also say, praise God, that's not our people. But how pertinent are these words for us? As you were just singing those three songs that we opened up our service with, did you sing as mere words in a tune, in a harmony, in a melody that you like, or did you sing from the heart? Were you engaged with the lyrics? Were you focused on our heavenly Father? Were you focused on the words that came across the screens? Were you focused on Christ and the gospel? Or were you going through the motions? Was your worship merely lame? Was it blind? Was it crippled? You were completely disengaged. If if that's the case, you were like the priest and the people during Malachi's day. You may have showed up here on Sunday morning and words may have been coming out, but it wasn't true worship because it wasn't from the heart. God only wants to be worshiped in ways that he prescribes. That's why his anger is being poured out through the hand of Malachi here. The priests and the nation were doing it wrong. That cannot be true of us. By the way, this is how God has always been. You don't have to wait to the last book of the Old Testament to see this. In fact, 300 years before Malachi, Isaiah records God saying similar things. Isaiah 1 verse 13, God says, look, I don't want you to bring your worthless offerings. Don't do it any longer. Verse 14, God says, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. Now, you may be thinking that this is kind of wild. God is saying, I hate your festivals and your appointed feasts and the things that I told you to do. Well, he's saying that because they weren't doing those things according to his word and they were doing what was right in their own eyes. One commentator said that the priests during Malachi's day, they had offered sacrifices that were second rate and defiled and offered in a way that despised God's name. Regardless of such behavior, which I think is shocking to us here at this point, notice that verse 11 tells us, that God's name will still be great. Look at verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain of offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, plural, says the Lord of hosts. The foolishness of the priests and the nation of Israel that day cannot stain or taint the name of God. In fact, God will still go forth, and notice, he says, amongst the nations, amongst the nations. The foolishness of man cannot overshadow the greatness of our God. Follow with me as we continue to see Malachi record God's words, look at verse 12, but you are profaning it, profaning God's name is what he's saying. In that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is, and you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? Be, but cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord, for I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Now, as we've already pointed out, and as you've seen clearly in the text, The priests were profaning God's name. Profaning, it just means to defile, uh, pollute, uh, contamination, uh, to make unholy. Again, this is an ongoing reality for the priest of that day. Well, what were they doing? Well, Malachi doubles down on his indictment against the priests for their inappropriate sacrifices and their illegitimate worship. Look back at verse 13. Not only were they offering lame, blind, and sick animals, look at verse 13. Some of the animals were even taken by what? Robbery. They were stealing animals to offer up to God. Stealing animals. Others were sick, lame. How could God ever accept an offering or a sacrifice like that? The truth is, he what? He can't. He can't. But notice the glimmer of hope we see in verse 14. and I think in your root 66 series, you've been tracking this through every book. and you'll see it here again in Malachi. look at verse 14. In the midst of all of this, Malachi reminds the priest and the people and us today, that Yahweh God is also a great king. Not only is he father, master, Yahweh, God, we're told here that he is a great king. In fact, the idea of Yahweh as king over the world and king over the nations is a constant reoccurring theme all throughout Scripture, including the Psalms. You can jot down these references here, just two of many. Psalm 47.2 says, For the Lord Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 29.10 says, The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king Forever. So Malachi indicts the priests. They had chosen to detach themselves from God's law, and they had failed to perform their duties to which they were called. They had failed to worship him as Savior and King. They had failed to worship him as Savior and King. Well, Malachi goes on uh, to record a second indictment against this corrupt priesthood and it is that they failed to commit to righteous living. They failed to commit to righteous living. Pick up with me in verse 1 of chapter 2. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already because you are not taking it to heart. Verse three, behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be taken away with it. So not only did the priest and the nation fail to offer God proper worship, they also failed to commit to righteous living. They failed to commit to righteous living. Now, if you look at verses 1 and 2, you notice that Malachi draws on that blessing and cursing motif that we've already seen is all part of the Old Testament, specifically the book of Genesis. If you obey God, you will be blessed. If you disobey God, you will be cursed. Well, what's the condition of Malachi and the nation at this point? I think it's pretty obvious. They have disobeyed God and they are experiencing the wrath and cursing of God. But as it pertains to how they lived... As it pertains to how they were living when they weren't performing their duties, what was their issue? How did the priest fail to commit to righteous living? Well, first off, they failed to take seriously the Word of God. Not only did this plague their administering of sacrifices They failed to take seriously the word of God. Therefore, they could not live righteously. The issue wasn't that the priest didn't know the word of God. Uh, They certainly did. If you're one that underlines things in your Bible, I would underline in verses 1 and 2, Twice, God says they did not take his word to what? To heart. They didn't take his word to heart. You see, God wasn't just calling the priests to make modifications to their sacrifices and offerings, although they better do that. Instead... He was asking them to make the necessary changes to revert back to the Word of God and absorb it and let it marinate on their heart. The central issue amongst this entire passage is the fact that they had abandoned the Word of God in the sense that although they knew it, they didn't adhere to it from the heart. The heart is the seed of emotions. It's the inner man. It's the inner being. That's what God wants. And that's what we need to understand today. Because again, as I've already mentioned, you can come in and sing as much as you would like, but if it is not from the heart, it is not acceptable worship to God. And we see this in Psalm 51. Uh, The psalmist says, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. And it is that heart that God will not despise. God is confronting the priest at the heart level. They refused to take heed to God's word, his commandments, his statutes, his directions, his revealed will. They had all of Old Testament revelation, by the way. Remember, this is 400 years before the time of Christ. All of the Old Testament had been written. Therefore, right before their faces, right before their hands were all of Old Testament scripture that told them exactly how they could love God and love people, which was their primary duty. Instead, they woke up every morning and they did what? They checked the box. They just, they just checked the box. Perform a sacrifice, yeah, let's bring a blind animal. Check the box. Actually, let's just go steal an animal. Sacrifice it, check the box. We made a sacrifice to God. And it was this culture, as I've mentioned before, that gave rise to the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. All those religious leaders, remember Jesus in Matthew 23, he calls them out. You are like whitewashed tombs. I mean, you're like a cup. You are clean on the outside, but you are dirty and filthy on the inside. That is a product of Malachi's words and the people during his day. Now, let me ask you again this morning, do you just check a box when you come in here on Sunday morning? Do you check a box when you come here on Wednesday night? After we were just singing together, do you check a box? Yes. I lifted my voice to the Lord today. Check. I stayed awake during a message today. Check. I didn't get in my car and leave. I went up to the worship center during the second hour checking that box. I mean, that's what the priests were doing. That's how Malachi's words and God's rebuke of the nation, that's how this is brought to us today. Are we checking boxes like the priests? Of course, the context is different. We get that. That's not living righteously. That's not adhering to the word of God. The priest failed at it. We do not want you to fail at it. That's why this word is preached Wednesdays and Sundays. That's why you have leaders that are here to help oversee and shepherd and care for you. So all this is designed for to bring honor to God and to progress us to be like Christ. Checking a box will not get you there. In fact, you can see here in the text, the priest's sinfulness was so vile and wicked that God warned of generational consequences. This doesn't mean that the priest's children would be punished. It just means that they were in such wickedness and disaster that it would take generations to actually get that culture thrown out of there and to bring in one that would honor God. That's the idea. Um, God isn't punishing the sins of the people in the next generation, Ezekiel 18, sort of fleshes that out. But it would take generations for this culture to shift. Not only does God warn of future consequences, look at verse 3, he speaks of putting refuse, dung on their faces. Refuse means dung, It it, it literally means contents of the gut, intestines, and stomach. I'm not making this up. Look what God says here. God says that the dung and the guts of sacrifices, he will throw all over their face. Look at verse three. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feast, and you will be taken away with it. I mean, it it makes me queasy to say it, but man, this is masterful imagery here dung anywhere on priestly garments would have forbid them from doing any of their priestly duties. I mean, we understand this, right? I mean, how many of us here are honestly going to go out in public if we're covered in dung? I would hope none of you. That's the idea here, is that they have become so worthless that God is taking the refuse, the dung from the sacrifices. He's flinging it on them, and they're completely done. They are useless. They are unimportant. They cannot worship God, and they cannot further the plan of God. That's how the priests were treating God with their sacrifices. They were unfit, polluted, and would ultimately have their sacrifices thrown on their faces as a reflection of their inward condition. Now, there's a glimmer of hope here. As we keep going here in verse 4, God shifts gears from describing cursings against the priesthood to recalling the faithful Levites and the faithful priests of the past. Look at verse 4 and follow with me down to verse 7. This is a breath of fresh air. We need to absorb this in after these two indictments. Look at verse 4. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge, and men should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts." So Malachi, he halts sort of his essay, his description on exposing the wretchedness of the priests and the nation, and now he goes back and he compares and contrasts that with the faithful priests. What was that priesthood to look like if they were faithful? Look at verse 5. It was to be characterized by life and peace. It was to be characterized by reverence for God. It was to be characterized by fear of God and a respect for him. The priests of Malachi's day were doing none of this. God calls them on it, but then by his grace, he calls them to come to repentance. Back to how the Levites were supposed to conduct themselves. Look at verse 6. Here's the key. Note this. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. The true Levites, hear me here. The true Levites were characterized by those who knew God's law and by those who obeyed God's law. Let me say it this way. The true Christian is the one that knows God's law and obeys God's law. The true Christian that we've learned in 1 John is the one that loves God, but then walks in the light. The one that loves God and walks in righteousness. God's law ought to be sweeter than honey. It's more pure than gold. We ought to hide it in our hearts so we may not sin against God. We ought to be up in the morning, reading it and meditating upon it. Just like the priests were called here in verse seven, we ought to preserve that knowledge. We ought to guard that truth. We ought to oversee all areas of our life where the word of God can find a place to take root. The priests and the nation weren't doing that here. Look at the end of verse seven. What was so saddening about all of this is that the priests were supposed to be the messengers of Yahweh. They were supposed to deliver the truth. And what was the truth? That salvation could be found in God. Not of works, but all of grace. But they couldn't administer that truth because they themselves were what? They themselves were actually like the sacrifices they offered. They, in fact, were lame, sick, and what? Blind. So not only did the priests fail to take God's word seriously, they failed to pass on the word of God. They personally failed to take it seriously But as their duty, they failed to pass it on to the people. These will be our final two verses this morning. Look at verse 8. But as for you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and debased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways but are showing partiality in the instruction. But because the priest had turned away from the word of God, remember they were the shepherds, they were the overseers because they had turned away, what did they lead all of the people to do? Turn away. You should mark that in your Bible, they have caused many others to stumble. That word means to stagger, to falter, to break. The priests had corrupted themselves and everybody else. Righteous living takes the word of God seriously. And then it passes on that word to others. A righteous living is communal. You understand that, right? That's why the scriptures often uh, warn against believers being caught up in the unbelieving world because it's that bad company that corrupts what? The good morals, 1 Corinthians. Righteous living is living communal in the sense of how it affects the people around you. So it was with the priests, so it was with the nation. Let me simply ask you this morning, what effect do you have on the people around you? Seriously, what effect do you have on the people around you? Are you bringing people uh, to Christ, to godliness, to Christ-likeness? Or are you just like the priest where you are taking people away from the truth of God's word? But rather than walking according to the law of God, the priest did what was right in their own eyes. Rather than following the covenant of Levi, they have corrupted it. Rather than preaching and teaching the law of God to the people, they skirted their duties and responsibilities and caused the nation to stumble. Rather than receiving blessings, we're told here that they were despised and abased. In other words, the people just didn't even respect them one bit. Rather than pleasing God, they angered God. That's Malachi's message for the people of his day. Well, as you know, if you're familiar with Malachi, Malachi isn't just about rebuke and condemnation. There's a glimmer of hope in chapters three and four that speak of someone preparing the way, the forerunner, John the Baptist, and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where the priests failed in Malachi's day. Jesus, the great high priest, did not. The priests in Malachi's day were spiritually blind and lame and had broken the law of God repeatedly. Yet, Jesus Christ, he lived 33 years without one spot, one blemish, one sin, one transgression against the law of God. He did what no other priest had ever done in the fact that he kept the law perfectly. And not only that, he performed the once for all perfect sacrifice that no priest in the Old Testament ever did. He didn't sacrifice an animal without spot or blemish. He laid down and sacrificed his own life that was without spot or blemish. Not only, and this is amazing, not only was he the perfect priest in whom God was pleased, but he was also the perfect lamb. If you're here this morning and you aren't a Christian, I plead with you just like God is pleading through Malachi. Acknowledge your rebellion and sin against a holy God. Repent of your sins and acknowledge that he is your father, that he is your master, that he is your God, and that he is your king. He will forgive you and he will cleanse you from all your sin. If you already know Christ... but your worship of him isn't from the heart at all times, and you struggle at times living righteously for him, come to him and he will wash you. Remember, Jesus told his disciples, look, you've already been bathed. Come to me and I will wash you. I will cleanse you. I close in prayer and as the worship team makes their way here, I ask that you prepare your heart to sing unto the Lord. Let's pray. God, we are grateful for the words that you have given us through the prophet Malachi. Uh, parts of it tough to digest and absorb but necessary so we see our sin in light of your goodness and the fact that you have paved a way to make us right with you, and you have done so through your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us, God, see him for who he really is and to take our hearts and make them vessels that treasure him. his name we pray.